Kia ora, I'm Damien Venuto, it's May 2nd and this is The Front Page, a daily podcast presented by the New Zealand Herald. The government has spent millions upon millions of dollars on consultants pursuing major policy ideas. This is despite Prime Minister Chris Hipkins saying there's a need to lessen the government's reliance on the private sector to get things done. In fact, This is one of the few areas where we've seen bipartisan consensus, with National Party leader Christopher Luxon also critical of the level of consultant spending. How much is too much? And are there signs of the government breaking free of these consultants? Today, on the front page, NZ Herald senior business journalist Kate McNamara follows the money and helps us understand how it got there in the first place. Kate, over the past year, you've investigated the amount the government has been spending on consultants. So what are some of the headline findings that have emerged from your reporting? Oh, well, I think, you know, the sort of overarching headline is that the numbers have been marching higher. This is spending on consultants and contractors since about 2018. It's up just about 30 percent for core governments. So the main departments and ministries that we call the core public service. And so, yeah, the big picture is that the spending is marching higher on external help and advice at the same time as the bureaucracy itself. So employees, public servants, their numbers are marching higher at a similar clip. The spending on three waters has been particularly staggering. So what has that money gone towards and how much of the actual work has been done? You know, it's much easier to say what the money's gone towards and much more difficult to say what the upshot is and how much of the work has been done. So it's gone to just about everything you imagine a government might need to do when it's agglomerating 67 separate systems, if you want, so waters systems. And in the first instance, it's formulating first the policy and the legislation to do that. So, you know, if you look through the consultancy work, there's a lot of policy work in there, a surprising amount, I would say, uh, given that policy is the bread and butter of government. So it's surprising when they're outsourcing it, but also a lot of information technology, due diligence planning, setting up particular units. We have a transition unit in existence now, which is supposed to basically transition from water systems belonging to 67 councils to, well, it was to be four separate entities. Now it's to be 10 separate entities. They talk about technical support. There's a lot of rather nebulous support of work streams and different internal policy advisors. It's not clear the degree to which some of the policy work is support by the consultants and some of it is just flat out being led by the consultants. And I think there's plenty of evidence in some areas for the latter. The government has just announced an overhaul of their affordable water reforms. The government will be establishing 10 regionally-led local water entities. We believe that this strikes the right balance between ensuring cost savings in the delivery of water infrastructure while also ensuring that those water entities are strongly grounded in their local communities. So does this suggest that we could see even further spending on consultants from this point? Almost definitely. And I think the sort of key to that is to look at how long this project will sit on the Department of Internal Affairs books, which is to say, for how long will the cost accrue to the Department of Internal Affairs? And at what point will the cost be borne by these individual water Uh, entities, water services entities. And so that was to happen before the recent change. That was to happen by July 1st of next year. And they've pushed that deadline out by two years. These aren't to be independent 
water service entities, now not four, but 10, until July 1st, 2026. And so DIA is working on this transition for an extra two years. Now they can transition early. I'd be surprised if many of them did. I think the likelihood that there's a lot more consultant spending. I mean, just for example, Ernst & Young, I think, is heavily involved in staffing that transition unit within DIA. So it's going to be there for another two years. Kate, can you run us through some of the numbers? Like how much are people actually spending on consultants? More than half of the budget for Three Waters uh, to date through the department has gone on outside work, which is a very hefty amount. Just looking at the bigger picture, how does the consultancy spend of this government compare to previous governments? Oh, well, that's always a sticky wicket. You know, the way in which the state services or public service commissioner now tallies consultant and contractor spend changed in 2018. So if you go back before that, it's not really an apples to apples comparison anymore, notwithstanding that proviso. If you go back and look at the Nats, they certainly had a considerable increase in their consultancy spend over their sort of seven odd discrete years. It wasn't such a significant increase, it appears to me, as the last five years of this sort of roughly two term government. I think the increase, something in the order of uh, of 40 to 50 percent over that longer time period of, of seven years. Now, I think what's Different, though, is that at the same time, the Nats had this policy of capping public servant numbers. And so they had a a wave or a number of waves of redundancies early in their government. And at the same time, their consultant and contractor spend was rising. So, you know, insofar as reporters like me cover this story, what you're often looking for is the gap between what the government says they're doing and what they're doing. And so the gap for the Nats was a little bit different. They always said, or for a long time had said, that they wanted to keep a lid on the number of public servants. Now, they didn't necessarily want to talk about the increased spending on consultants, but that's kind of a different story to what we have now, which was a government that came in promising to lift the lid on the number of public servants, which they did do. But then the corollary of that was that there never was a reining in of consultant and contractor spending. And in fact, it's grown, uh, I think, sort of slightly more rapid pace than it had previously. The balancing act there is between ensuring that you have people in-house that can do what's required and then relying on really expensive consultants that are out of house. In any government, you're going to have to do a bit of both, but it's about where you get that balance right. It is. You know, I think if you sort of think about what model you want to pursue, there are a couple of obviously desirable models. And there's kind of like the lean, mean public service. So you you run a a pretty tight ship in terms of your employees. And then, you know, it's understandable and indeed very likely that you will contract out because your ethos and your strategy is to keep a very lean core workforce. Or you can aim to have a a more uh, wide ranging skill set, a bigger public service, And then you would expect not to have a particularly high spend on outside advice. What you don't want (laughs) is a big amorphous and possibly lacking competency in some areas, public service alongside a big amorphous contractor and consultant external spend. If you're finding this episode of The Front Page interesting and informative, be sure to follow us on iHeartRadio or whichever podcast app you're using right now. 
every listen helps us keep you up to date with the stories that matter. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins has suggested on several occasions that the government needs to lessen that reliance on consultants. Have you seen any evidence of that happening? Definitely, because he's just, uh, when he came in as Prime Minister, he took a look at the gamut of policies and legislation that the government was pursuing. And he said, it's too big. We've, I mean, not in so many words, but he essentially said, we've bitten off more than we can chew, particularly with all of these unfinished projects in an election year. And he cut a number of them. You know, they'd already spend an awful lot, for example, on the RNZ, TVNZ merger. I think it was in the order of $20 million on consultants, but it may well have gone higher if he hadn't killed that merger. So, yes. Is that money just wasted now? Do we just write that money off or did the country have any benefit from that? Well, (laughs) you know, I could plan to pack up my life and travel the world. And then at the last minute, I could stay home and go to work on Monday morning. And in the meantime, I've paid to put my furniture in storage and rent out the house. And I've spent a huge amount of time researching what I'm going to do. You know, I guess at the end of the day, I might still know that I don't want to go to Kamchatka when I finally travel the world. That's my long way of saying I don't think there's a great deal of value in the spend that's sunk on merging these two entities. They're not going to be merged. There's no plan for them to be merged. Uh, A lot of it went on change and transition management. That's very specific to the two entities that currently exist. It's a good question for Willie Jackson. Yes, I know it's 16.1 million, but we're talking about future-proofing New Zealand media. And while we don't have a merger, we know where we're going. And in a better time, when we don't have a cyclone and we don't have the floods of the century, you know, who knows, we might be able to uh, roll that merger out. What would he point to? A single piece of specific work that he's had done for that merger that he can point to its ongoing utility. I'd love to hear it. And I suspect that if he could find one, it would be the exception that proved the rule. Kate, why do you think it is that governments rely so heavily on consultants when it comes to making these big decisions? Does it point to a government that's fearful? Governments small g government, so the apparatus of departments and ministries, do what they're prompted to do, I think, by and large. And so if they have the budgets for the outside spending, then that's one motivator. But largely they do what you expect them to do and what you fund them to do. I don't know that it's a huge amount more complicated than that. Now, they obviously have operational decision-making power. And, you know, you can have ministers that are more or less micromanaging. But I think if you set stern expectations around things, you can probably, in the broad brushstrokes, achieve the outcomes that you want. Sometimes it'll take a lot of sitting on people. Yeah, the big consultancy groups aren't forcing anyone to pay them their handsome salaries, right? No, they're very convenient. Um, You know, I think Where there's some difficulty, it's probably in what you pay public servants. And certainly in the last few years in a very tight labour market, I've seen a number of examples, you know, when you're drilling down on a particular situation. And maybe about 18 months ago, I did a story about the Productivity Commission hemorrhaging staff. And if you look at where those people went, you know, there was one, I would say, quite valuable employee to that organization. It's not a big organization. So we're talking about somewhere in the order of 20 people. So if you lose a very competent project manager, for example, then that's quite important to that organization. Now, this person 
I happened to know she'd been headhunted time and again by a consultancy. Wasn't that pleasant at the time working for the Productivity Commission for a variety of reasons? And finally, she left and in the midst of a project was hired right back at the consultant's rates to stay on at the Productivity Commission and, and finish that work. And it's just it's a ludicrous waste of money. Now, what can be done to retain staff within the public service? I think that's a decent question. It's a it's not one that's easily answered because you probably can't always pay them a market rate, although there's a good deal of effort, I think, to pay a market rate. But most of us know that you're going to get paid less in the public service. But there are other benefits. Job security seems to be one of those benefits that People value less, perhaps, than they did 20 years ago. Maybe not across the board, but there's been a, a big rise in flexibility and, and not just sort of the flexibility of sitting at a desk in the office versus at home, but, you know, the flexibility to take three months off. Kate, given all the focus on this issue in recent years, do you think that future governments might be hesitant to spend as freely on consultants as this government has? It depends on the kind of broad brushstroke picture a government paints for itself. It's kind of perennial as the grass, this story about consultant spending. We have had in recent years, by its own description, an aspirational government. Now, it may have changed under Chris Hipkins' Certainly the language has changed under Chris Hipkins, but very broadly under the Ardern years, we had this aspirational government. You know, it's kind of a dream big ethos of government. Then it spawned a large number of plans and projects and programs. And I don't think I'm saying anything different than, you know, kind of the current iteration of the government would admit to. It bit off more than it could chew. And that, I think, has, in a fairly obvious way, led to a big increase in outside expertise and, and the purchasing of it. So if we got a government that promised less aspiration and more, let's say, efficient government, <laughs> <laughs> governments always uh, hope to do, or almost always hope to do more than they can, of course, it would have to be carried through. Thanks for joining us, Kate. That's it for this episode of The Front Page. You can read more about today's stories and extensive news coverage at nzherald.co.nz. The Front Page is produced by Sean D. Wilson with executive producer Ethan Sills. I'm Damien Venuto. You can follow The Front Page on iHeartRadio or wherever you get your podcasts. And tune in tomorrow for another look behind the headlines. <laughs>